Hi, my name is Dr. Mark Allen Derry, and I'm an infectious diseases specialist in New Orleans. Hi, my name is Doc Griggs, and I'm a community medicine doctor and health literacy expert. This is the Noise Filter Podcast, where an infectious diseases physician, that's me, and a health literacy and communications expert, that's me, talk about what you need to know about COVID-19. You can find more information about this show and our other daily live updates and Q&A show at noisefiltershow.com. So let's get started. Listeners, thanks to all of you for listening and subscribing to COVID Noise Filter. On behalf of Doc Griggs and the entire Noise Filter team, we are honored to be nominated for a People's Choice Podcast Award in the health category. If you appreciate the information we provide, please take a moment and show your support by voting for us. It just takes a few minutes. It would mean so much to us. You can find the link to vote in the episode notes or by going to podcastawards.com. Again, that's podcastawards.com. And please vote for COVID noise filter in the health category. Thank you so much. And now on to the stories. HIV prevention clinics and funding cuts. Uh Uh-oh, I can tell already that I'm not going to like this study. Last year, the federal government launched an ambitious plan to end the nation's HIV epidemic by 2030. However, that is now being threatened due to funding cuts. According to NBC News, clinics that provide vital HIV prevention services to disadvantaged populations are set to lose well over $100 million in annual HIV prevention funds, due in part to a recent decision by pharmaceutical company Gilead Sciences to cut off an increasingly valuable revenue stream that supports organizations in their efforts to prevent the virus's spread. The consequences are expected to be the most devastating to clinics in the South due to the region's disproportionately large uninsured population and the fact that half of HIV transmissions in the U.S. occur in those states. People of color will likely bear the brunt of that impact. The issue centers around a 1992 federal drug pricing law called 340B. The law grants clinics that care for a disproportionate number of uninsured and low-income individuals, like yours truly right here, the right to purchase pharmaceuticals at steep discounts through their in-house or contracted pharmacies. Public and private insurance typically reimburse 340B designated clinic pharmacies at a dollar amount close to the prescribed list price. And when that happens, it yields a surplus cash, also known as the 340B spread that prevention organizations spend for their services. Because the high price of antiretrovirals used to treat and prevent HIV, the 340B spread provides hundreds of millions of dollars annually into safety net clinics that serve the low-income, uninsured, and non-white populations that are disproportionately impacted by the virus. Now, the additional funds allow these clinics to provide extra services such as transportation assistance, safer sex education, STD training, condoms, case management, and opioid use disorder treatment. Ironically, even as the Biden administration seeks to drive down the cost of pharmaceuticals, the 340B pricing laws cause many healthcare facilities serving low-income individuals to depend on drug prices remaining high to support their bottom lines. 
Gilead Sciences is changing its reimbursement process, which will essentially end the 340B spread. The consequences of Gilead's new policy will be dire, as many uninsured people are expected to lose access to PrEP drugs such as Truvada and Discovy because of their inability to pay for their clinic visits and lab tests. Although the decision makes good business sense for Gilead, the cost to thousands of people will be devastating. On a personal level, I have started two separate clinics for low and no income individuals uh, living with HIV. And there's no question about it that our clinics work because of 340B drugs and pricing. So I am one of those clinics where this decision may adversely affect us, but I also want to recognize that I always knew that eventually 340B would go away. So I don't know what's going to happen moving forward, but we will certainly continue to follow this story here on COVID Noise Filter. Researchers use Fitbit data to track long-term COVID effects. A Gallup poll indicates that nearly 20% of Americans wear a Fitbit or other wearable fitness tracking device. Throughout the pandemic, a few studies found that the device's constant collection of heart rate, body temperature, and physical activity data might be helpful to flag early indicators of COVID. According to the New York Times, new research suggests that Fitbits and other fitness watches can also provide insight into recovery from COVID and its long-term effects. A paper published in early of July in the Journal of the American Medical Association, Network Open, found that patients who recovered from COVID saw behavioral and physiological changes that could last for months after testing positive. These changes also lasted longer than they did in patients with other respiratory illnesses. Now, while participants with COVID and other respiratory diseases had slept more and had elevated heart rates in the months after recovering, the change recorded was much more pronounced in COVID patients. It took non-COVID participants four days to return to normal resting heart rate, while it took an average of 79 days for COVID patients. According to the New York Times, this long elevation in heart rate might indicate that COVID-19 affects the autonomic nervous system, which regulates physiological processes. This may also be why people with long COVID symptoms report dizziness and heart palpitations. One limitation of the study so far is that the consistency of how long participants report their symptoms after they get sick, but scientists interested in Fitbit data plan to ask participants to record for longer periods of time in the future. If utilized effectively, this consistent data could be incredibly useful. How to tell when the pandemic is over. <laughs> This is going to be a good story. Now, as Americans are getting vaccinated, some aspects of life have returned to some degree of normalcy with mask requirements loosening and schools geared to reopen in person. Now, while these changes make it easier to feel as if we are out of the woods, the COVID crisis isn't over yet, right? Because we got Delta or even globally. And according to NPR, there are some ways we can understand how our communities are faring and how to tell when the crisis is actually over. Now, of course, this is something to do in the future because there are a significant uptick in cases right now. Now, it's tricky to tell exactly when the pandemic is over because the pandemic has no formal definition in international law. So we can't know for sure what metric the WHO will use to declare it over. Every three months, the organization assembles an international committee to decide if an outbreak is still a global health emergency. So it will probably be some time before the committee decides COVID is no longer a concern. But this is the most reliable global metric. 
And domestically, the U.S. does not have anything set either. And while there has been widespread access to the vaccine, they have proven to be effective in fighting COVID variants. But the fight to reduce COVID transmission has been hindered to resistance to both masking and vaccines. And there tends to be an overlap in those two groups. Because according to NPR, all 92 people in Maryland who died of COVID in June, they were unvaccinated. National and state-level vaccination and COVID case rates can be misleading. The vaccination rate at large might inadvertently cover up spots of vaccine resistance in vulnerable areas. So hospitalization data can also be more useful than vaccination or infection rates as everyone going to the hospital is tested for COVID. And while the case rate can be compromised by the lack of testing in the community, there in the hospital, we actually know what the results actually are, and we'd be able to report on it. Hospitalizations, of course, are lagging indicators, and we always want something that is, if possible, more than a lagging indicator. And it will be difficult to determine when the pandemic is over. And the way things look right now, at the time of this recording, late in July, I think we're in for a rough August. Just as a reminder that COVID-19 and the human immunodeficiency virus do share the same risk factors. Doc Griggs? Thanks for listening to the Noise Filter Daily Podcast. Dr. Derry and I have a daily show at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time where we go into more detail on stories and answer your questions about COVID-19. You can find Doc Griggs at DocGriggs1 on social media, and you can find me at Dr. Mark Allen Derry or at D-R-D-E-R-Y. You can follow us at Noise Filter on Instagram, Noise Filter NOLA on Twitter, and for more information about us and the show, you can go to noisefiltershow.com. Hey, Doc Griggs, any last words? Remember, get checked, get fit, get moving. And remember to get some rest to boost your immune system. And Doc, protect yourself and others by staying home, and please wear masks when you go outside. Remember, health is a human right.